Last week, I had an appointment with an eye doctor. I'm going to have to have cataract surgery next week. And I thought cataracts were just for old people. Apparently, even young adults like me can get cataracts. But I'm glad it's just a cataract. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be unable to see. In a moment, we're going to look at the story of a man born blind. But first, let me tell you another story. Kate Bowler, professor at Duke Divinity School, was diagnosed with cancer. And it was, in the word of the nurse who called to tell her the news, everywhere. Dr. Bowler wrote that while she was still in the hospital following the initial surgery, a kind neighbor came to their door to deliver a meal. The well-meaning lady told Dr. Bowler's husband, Everything happens for a reason. I'd love to hear it, her husband responded. Pardon, the neighbor, an neighbor answered, rather startled. The reason my wife is dying, Dr. Bowler's husband said. I'd like to hear the reason my wife is dying. The neighbor stammered, stuttered, hemmed and hawed, and then awkwardly handed her husband the casserole. So does everything really happen for a reason? Dr. Kate Bowler talked about that in a fascinating book titled, kind of sarcastically, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Now, I wouldn't exactly express things as Dr. Bowler did in the book, but, but I really appreciate her point that everything does not in fact happen for a reason, at least not a reason we can know. The Bible does say, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. It simply does not say, everything happens for a reason. In Bible days, just about everybody believed if something bad happened to you, there was, in fact, a reason. And the reason was that you had done something wrong. We see that common assumption in the passage of the Bible that we're looking at today. You might know that we're walking through the life of Jesus as it is told in the book of John. Today, we come to John chapter 9. The friends of Jesus saw a blind man and asked, Why is this man blind? Was it because he sinned or because his parents sinned? Neither, Jesus answered. We're going to drill down on that in a moment. But first, we need to need to acknowledge that bad choices do have consequences in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. Sinful choices always carry repercussions. And yet, and, and this is important, everything bad that happens is not, is not a direct result of sinful choices. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, on the surface, that could look like God struck the man blind in his mother's womb so that Jesus would have an opportunity later to perform a cool miracle and be the hero. But that's not God's M.O. He, he doesn't yank us around for his pleasure or hurt us to enhance his reputation. And yet, somehow, God's plan all along was to do something good in the life of this blind man. God's plan was to do something good that could not have happened had he not been born blind. And this is where we enter the world of deep mystery. Why does God sometimes allow something bad 
so that later he may do something good. Again, why does God sometimes allow something bad so that later he may do something good? We might never know the answer to that question this side of heaven, but sometimes, sometimes we can look back and see that God actually took a really bad situation and turned it into something beautiful. There's an old Norwegian legend about a fisherman and his two sons who were out in the deep water fishing when suddenly a terrible storm blew up. The winds were so strong and the waves so high and the darkness so thick that they lost their direction in the storm. Their situation looked hopeless for a while, but they finally did make it safely back to shore. In the meantime, that same strong wind had blown into the fisherman's house and had blown the fire in the kitchen higher and higher until the fisherman's humble house caught on fire. His wife was at home, but her efforts to put out the fire were futile and everything they had burned. As the boat landed, the fisherman's wife met her husband and sons in tears. Our house burned, she said. We've lost everything, she cried. The fisherman seemed unmoved. Do you not understand? Everything burned in the fire, she said. Let me tell you what happened to us, the fisherman told her. The storm came up quickly and the winds were so strong and the waves so high and the darkness so thick that we lost our direction in the storm. But then we saw a tiny orange light. Assuming it was on shore, we turned toward that light. I know now. That orange light was our house on fire, and it saved our lives. Now, I know that's just a legend, but I think about that story sometimes. When God takes something bad and, and turns it into something good, when God uses a tragedy for which there seemingly are no answers and does something beautiful that would have been impossible had it not been for that tragedy, indeed, something Sometimes God allows something bad so that He can do something good. Well, Ed, thanks for taking the time, inviting us into your home, and uh, letting me ask you a couple of questions. As, sure. I, as I told you, we're studying John 9, and for those um, who are watching, this is Ed Culpepper, Dr. Ed Culpepper, a uh, friend of mine and a member at First Baptist, former former pastor. And Ed, you were, you were a pastor at Mountain View when you began to right. lose your sight. Now, I, you know, we're, the story we're studying in John 9 is of a man born blind. But when I met you and Sharon back in seminary days a few years ago, you could see as well as I could. So what, what's, your, what's your story? Just over 30 years ago, I began to have problems with my vision, had floaters, uh, in my eyes and found out that uh, I have uh, diabetic retinopathy. Uh, doctors did laser treatments uh, several times in each eye. I was in sort of a surgery of the month club uh, for several months. About this time, 30 years ago, uh, the doctor had done his last try and said, I'm sorry, you're not going to see anymore. Mm. So you were, a, you were a pastor at the time. Right. I know the, 
Huntsville Times, Alabama Baptist did stories about the fact that you were losing your sight. And I understand some well-meaning <laughs> folks showed up at the church office one day. Tell That's us about right. that. The uh, Times article had come out and uh, talked about my losing my eyesight and continuing to serve as pastor. So one day, a carload of uh, four uh as I found out, rather portly men uh, <laughs> drove up, uh, came in, uh, asked the secretary if uh, they might have a moment with me, and she ushered them into my office. They introduced themselves as four local ministers who had read about me in the paper uh, and said that they had come to my office to anoint my eyes with some olive oil that one of them had brought from Bethlehem on a recent trip to the Holy Land, and that if they prayed for me and anointed my eyes, then I would be able to see. And they rather intimated that the reason that I was not able to see was because of my lack of faith. I explained to them that uh, I prayed regularly the prayer of the dad who asked Jesus to heal his son, and Jesus said he could heal if he had enough belief, and the dad said, I believe, help my unbelief. I told them that was my prayer, and that I really didn't sense God's leadership uh, for them to anoint my eyes with their olive oil, but sure, I'd be glad to pray with them, but they thought it was kind of a package deal that <laughs> uh, they either do the anointing and praying or uh, uh, they could just go someplace else. Yeah. So, mm. Well, in, in this story that we're looking at this week in John 9, there's this unusual line where it says that the man was born blind so that God's glory could be revealed in him. And, and that's a hard one to unpack. You, you have a really beautiful take on that. Would you tell us how you understand that and how that's been lived out in your life? That phrase uh, of Jesus that the man was blind so that the works of God... Mm -hmm. might be revealed in him, uh, came, came to be sort of uh, my abiding prayer that uh, through my blindness that God would have opportunity to be revealed. Uh, I think my blindness for some people has opened doors for the gospel that might not have been opened in their lives otherwise. Uh, when people uh, perhaps see a video of me water skiing or snow skiing, mm -hmm. I've seen those. They take notice because, hey, this is a blind guy doing this. Yeah. Well, it gives me the opportunity to say that the reason I'm able to do it is because God is good. And it's by God's grace that I have a community of faith, people who assist me where I uh, need some help to be able to continue doing those things that uh, God has equipped me to do. Mm. 
and uh, it became a lesson for me in faith that for God's works to be revealed in someone uh, is really the same story for me with my blindness as for anyone with whatever their deficit or challenge in life may be, that uh, for God's works to be seen through our lives uh, is part of God's grace to us. Mm. And in, his, in our weakness, He is made strong. That's Whatever the weakness. That's it. Ed, thank you for your spirit and uh, your willingness to share this part of your life with us. Let's read verses 6 and 7 again. Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now why would Jesus make the blind man walk all the way to the pool of Siloam? We don't know exactly where in Jerusalem Jesus met the blind man probably near the temple. But wherever they were, the blind man would have had to walk down some distance to the pool. The pool of Siloam is at the lowest point in Jerusalem, at the bottom of the mountainside upon which Jerusalem was built. Someone would have had to help this gentleman walk through the tricky streets down to that pool where he washed his eyes and was healed. I don't know for sure why Jesus told the blind man to walk down to the pool, but this I do know. Real change requires a walk down, if you will. Transformation requires a humbling of ourselves, and, and it often requires the help of someone to get us to that place where we can be healed. Perhaps you've heard of the 12 steps the 12-step process toward recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous, or AA. The first step is this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. It's a point of unconditional surrender. No more lies, no more excuses, just truth and submission. For most people, that requires something like entering a treatment facility or walking cold into an AA meeting. I've known enough people who've gone through the 12 steps to know that, that that courageous first step is both humbling and frightening. But that's where healing begins, where recovery and a new healthy life begins. By the way, let's not forget that that blind man had to have help to walk down the side of that small mountain on the side of which Jerusalem was built to get to the pool of Siloam. And you might need some help too. Of course, I've been talking here about recovery from addiction, but the need to courageously and humbly submit and surrender applies to lots of life's struggles. The healing of your mental illness, for example, may require an admission that your depression or other struggle is not going to get any better. If you just keep trying harder, it, it's going to re require an admission that you need help. The healing of your marriage may require an admission that your marriage is in trouble and your need for help. Your sense of spiritual lostness is not going to go away 
until you admit that you have an, an overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing like we always do, that you can't fix that, and that you need a rescuer, a redeemer, a savior, and turn to Jesus. One of my favorite people is Dennis Parker. He celebrated five years of sobriety a few weeks ago. He told us how hard it was to admit he had a drinking problem. He talked about hiding it and refusing to ask for help. He, he admitted there were plenty of people I now know who would have gladly reached out to help me. But he said, there was too much Dennis in there. And he sang, there's a whole lot of stubborn in this room. There's a whole lot of pride that won't let go. Don't let your stubbornness blind you to hope. Don't let your pride blind you to the possibility of a new life, a new beginning.